Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. Mother Teresa, come be my light, the private writings of the Saint of Calcutta. Chapter 10. I have come to love the darkness, the spiritual side of the work. For the first time in this eleven years, I have come to love the darkness. For I believe now that it is part of a very, very small part of Jesus' darkness and pain on earth. You have taught me to accept it as a spiritual side of your work, as you wrote. Mother Teresa. Section 1. If my darkness is light to some soul. In 1957, Jesuit Father Joseph Nunner wrote an article about Mother Teresa and her work in a German mission magazine. Shortly thereafter, she sought out his help to respond to the letters directed to her from readers. Their personal contact took a new turn a few years later. Father Nooner, who taught theology in Pune, India, came on occasion to Calcutta to teach at Morningstar College and to direct retreats. In April 1961, he was invited to preach a retreat to the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta. Mother Teresa attended the retreat and spoke to him privately. Father Nooner recalled the encounter. In our meetings, Mother Teresa began to speak about the trials of her interior life and her inability to disclose them to anyone. So I asked her to write down her experiences, which she did not. So I asked her to write down her experiences, which she did, more explicitly than I expected. She gave me the papers with the explicit request to burn them as soon as I had read them. I was deeply impressed by the honesty and simplicity of her account and the deep anxiety she was going through in utter darkness. Was she on the right path, or had she become the victim of a network of illusions? Why had God abandoned her totally? Why this darkness, whereas in her earlier life, she had been so close to God? She had to lead her sisters, initiate them into the love of God and into a life of prayer, which had been wiped out in her own life as she lived in total emptiness. Had she become a shameful hypocrite who spoke to others about the divine mysteries which had totally vanished from her own heart? It is all contained in the document. I need not explain it. This document, most of which Father Nooner thought best to preserve, concisely touches upon the highlights of her spiritual journey thus far. In Loretto, Father, I was very happy. I think the happiest none. Then the call came. Our Lord asked directly. The voice was clear and full of conviction. Again and again he asked in 1946. I knew it was he. Fear and terrible feelings. Fear lest I was deceived. 
But as I have always lived in obedience, I put the whole thing before my spiritual father, hoping the whole time that he will say it was all the devil's deception. But no, like the voice, he said, it is Jesus who is asking you. And then you know how it all worked out. My superior sent me to Asensol in 1947, and there, as if our Lord just gave himself to me, to the full. The sweetness and consolation and union of those six months passed, but too soon. And then the work started, in December 1948. By 1950, as the number of the sisters grew, the work grew. Now, Father, since 49 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. And then it is that I feel he does not want me. He is not there. Heaven, souls, why, these are just words which mean nothing to me. My very life seems so contradictory. I help souls to go where? Why all this? Where is the soul in my very being? God does not want me. Sometimes I just hear my own heart cry out, my God, and nothing else comes. The torture and pain I can't explain. From my childhood, I've had a most tender love for Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. But this too has gone. I feel nothing before Jesus. And yet, I would not miss Holy Communion for anything. You see, Father, the contradiction in my life? I long for God. I want to love him, to love him much, to live only for love of him, to love only. And yet there is but pain, longing, and no love. Years back, about 17 years now, I wanted to give God something very beautiful. I bound myself under pain of mortal sin not to refuse him anything. Since then, I have kept this promise. And when sometimes the darkness is very dark, and I am on the verge of saying no to God, the thought of that promise pulls me up. I only want God in my life. The work is really and solely his. He asked. He told me what to do. He guided every step, directs every movement I take, puts the words in my mouth, makes me teach the sisters the way. All that and everything in me is he. This is why when the world praises me, it really does not touch, not even the surface of my soul. About the work, I am convinced it is all he. Before I could spend hours before our Lord, loving him, talking to him, and now, not even meditation goes properly. Nothing but my God. Even that sometimes does not come. Yet deep down somewhere in my heart, that longing for God keeps breaking through the darkness. 
when outside in the work or meeting people, there is a presence of somebody living very close in very me. I don't know what this is, but very often, even every day, that love in me for God grows more real. I find myself telling Jesus unconsciously most strange tokens of love. Father, I have opened my heart to you. Teach me to love God. Teach me to love him much. I am not learned. I don't know many things about the things of God. I want to love God as and what he is to me, my Father. Very often I long to make use of the food I give my sisters. But I can never do it. The same for spiritual books. All these things were so natural to me before, until our Lord came fully in my life. I loved God with all the powers of a child's heart. He was the center of everything I did and said. Now, Father, it is so dark, so different, and yet my everything is his, in spite of him not wanting me, nor caring as if for me. When the work started, I knew what it will all mean. But with my whole heart, I accepted then everything. Only one prayer I made, to give me grace to give saints to the church. My sisters, Father, are the gift of God to me. They are sacred to me, each one of them. That is why I love them more than I love myself. They are a very great part of my life. My heart and soul and body belongs only to God, and he has thrown away as unwanted the child of his love. And to this, Father, I have made that resolution in this retreat, to be at his disposal. Let him do with me whatever he wants, as he wants, for as long as he wants. If my darkness is light to some soul, even if it be nothing to nobody, I am perfectly happy to be God's flower of the field. This summary of her call is the only instance where Mother Teresa revealed something of the inspiration of 1946 to someone other than Archbishop Perrier and Father Van Exen. Considering the rich spiritual experiences she had during the months following September 10, 1946, Mother Teresa could have disclosed much more about herself. But with her habitual humility, she shared just enough for Father Nooner, who was assuming a role as her spiritual director, to grasp her interior journey and be of help. What she did reveal is significant and very personal. Her moving account of the untold darkness she had been enduring since the work started, her private vow, and the impact that that had on her life, and her recollection of the time when she could spend hours with him, loving him. The reality of her relationship with Jesus was truly a paradox. He was living in and through her without her being able to savor the sweetness of his presence. 
At prayer, she would turn to Jesus and express her painful longing for him. But it was only when she was with the poor that she perceived his vi presence vividly. There she felt him to be so alive and so real. Having realized that Father Nooner was capturing the pattern of God's working in her soul, Mother Teresa revealed to him details about her childhood that she had not shared with her previous spiritual directors, such as her early love for the Eucharist. Though she no longer felt Jesus' presence, she would not miss Holy Communion for anything. A senior sister, daily witness of Mother Teresa's actions, testified to this great faith in the Eucharist. Mother received Holy Communion daily with tremendous devotion. If there happened to be a second Mass celebrated in Mother House on a given day, she would always try to assist at it, even if she was very busy. I would hear her say on such occasions, how beautiful to have received Jesus twice today. Mother's deep, deep reverence for the Blessed Sacrament was a sign of her profound faith in the real presence of Jesus under the appearances of bread and wine. Her adoring attitude, gestures such as genuflections, even on both knees in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament exposed, and that well into old age. Her posture, such as kneeling and joining hands, her preference for receiving Holy Communion on the tongue, all bespoke her faith in the Eucharist. With a nostalgic tone, Mother Teresa recalled the love and union she had known. At the same time, she knew that her perception of her spiritual state with all its darkness was not the whole picture. She could get she could catch a glimmer of her love for God. It was becoming more real. And the most strange tokens of love arose spontaneously into her consciousness. And while she felt as if God was not caring for her, she knew she was a child of his love. Years later, Father Nooner summed up his reaction to Mother Teresa's self-revealing notes. My answer to the confession of these pages was simple. There was no indication of any serious failure on her part, which could explain the spiritual dryness. It was simply the dark night of which all masters of spiritual life know, though I never found it so deeply, and for so many years as in her. There's no human remedy against it. It can be born only in the insurance of God's hidden presence and of the union with Jesus, who, in his passion, had to bear the burden in the darkness of the sinful world for our salvation. The sure sign of God's hidden presence in this darkness is the thirst for God, the craving for at least a ray of his light. No one can long for God unless God is present in his or her heart. Thus, the only response to this trial is the total surrender to God and the acceptance of the darkness in union with Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen.
Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle God of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why did God allow Mother Teresa to undergo this terrible darkness? This sense that Jesus was not near her, that he did not want her. Well, Mother Teresa gives us one answer. There are many answers, there are several answers at least. But she gives us one incredibly important answer in tonight's revelation to Father Nooner. And that is this. She had to be convinced that the work that she was doing, the work that would receive so much praise, so much attention, she had to be convinced that it was all him. About the work I'm convinced it is all he, she writes. All that and everything in me is he. By stripping Mother Teresa of all of these consolations, all of these satisfactions, by helping her go through this incredible period of dryness and desolation, it allowed Mother Teresa to be totally detached from herself. It allowed her to be open, to be his instrument, so that what St. Paul said it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's true of mother. And how does one get to that state? By being stripped, emptied. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears more fruit. Our Lord also said, he who saves his life loses it. He who loses his life finds it. That is, he who loses his own natural life, the life he thought he was supposed to lead, giving it all up, being at the disposal of the Lord, finds it in the Lord's own way of being in him. And that's what Mother Teresa was experiencing. And this whole stripping away was preparing her for this work and preparing her not to be corrupted by it. When people praised her, when people honored her, God wanted her to be so convinced that she was nothing without him. And even more than that, he wanted her to truly believe that anything she did was absolutely him. That it was he was the one doing it. And the only way to get her there was to make her go through this darkness. Well, that seems to be to my mind at least, one of the profound reasons why God let her go through this. Now finally, why is she inquiring of Father Nooner? Was this vanity? Was she just trying to get reassurance? Was she just trying to boast a little bit, get some consolation? I don't think so. And Father Nooner's point at the end about 
this experience of hers in no way being the result of her own fault. That line indicates why she approached him. Because classical writers identify various potential causes for this state of dryness, this state of desolation. It's either God working in you, or it could be from your own fault, your own lack of fervor, your own lack of asceticism. Maybe we're going backwards and therefore causing it to be distasteful. Or finally, it could be a bodily indisposition, some kind of health thing, ate too much or something. But the main thing is whether it's her fault or whether it's God. And that's what she wanted to get direction from. And that's what she got from him. And that's why she went to him. She had to put this before him. Or there was something she said in confession that made him inquire. And so in simplicity, she put her state before him to get his judgment. And that's the context. It's not vainglory at work here. It's not some kind of disordered desire to manifest her excellence to him. No. It's her own fear, her own concern that she's on the right path. And what's the proof that she's on the right path? Her love for the Eucharist. She felt that she didn't love the Lord. She felt no tenderness like she used to feel. All of the things that spurred her on were not there. But there was nothing that could convince her to stay away from it. There was nothing that could keep her from going to communion. See, that's the sign that we're dealing with pure love. And the motive behind her love was so pure that it was just for Jesus she did it. She felt nothing herself, but she knew she had to do it for him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.